in our second episode of the new series entitled The Goat, which means the greatest of all time. Pastor John Mark Caton explains the seemingly ironic phrase, a religious man finds Jesus, which is derived from Nicodemus in the book of John, chapter 3. John Mark expounds on how someone can be religious, but not saved. Now let's hear from Pastor John Mark. All right, looking for that. All right, guys, as you, uh, uh, as you open up your copy of God's Word or go to your app, uh, go to John chapter 3, and as we think in this series of uh, the goat, the greatest of all time, certainly that applies to Jesus. And in John chapter 3, uh, there are a number of things that we're going to see today that uh, really uh, speak to perhaps who we are and maybe a, uh, an encounter that you and I could have with Jesus Christ. And it's from a man named Nicodemus. And before I tell you much about Nicodemus, in, in Jesus' day, if you didn't know this, uh, there were kind of uh, maybe four ruling parties or different factions and groups. One, one group, you'll look in God's Word, they're called the Herodians, all right? And those are ones that, man, they had teamed up with Herod. They were all about political power. They were willing to do whatever it took just to always side with Herod because they liked the way things were going. Uh, there was some economic prosperity going on in, um, uh, in, in, the, in their lives. And so they basically said, if, if Herod's for it and it'll keep Rome happy and it'll keep our taxes down, you can do whatever you want to. Then on the other end of that spectrum were a group named the Essenes. And they were kind of separatist group. They would go out, they had their own communion, their own, uh, their own communes, their own places, and they were just totally separate. And so if you go to the Herodians, it was kind of, as long as Herod keeps Rome happy, we're going to be friends with Herod. Uh, the Essenes were like, we're never going to be happy with anybody or anything. And then in the middle, you had some different religious groups, some Jewish religious groups. You had the Sadducees and Pharisees. You hear about those folks all the time. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about them if you didn't know. So uh, here's what you also need to know. As you journey through the New Testament, Jesus had more conflict with the Pharisees than he did with the Sadducees. Now, it's not because the Sadducees liked Jesus more, but it was simply because Jesus showed up in the places that the Pharisees were more. Uh, if you think about the Sadducees would have been kind of the wealthy, the ruling party, the political elite, uh, and the Pharisees and probably their place of authority and their place of power would have been more the temple. But on a daily basis and throughout the week, uh, Jesus would go to the synagogues. Well, the Pharisees, if the Sadducees were more the political elite, the wealthy, uh, they would have been in the ivory, uh, you know, in the ivory towers of their day. Um, the Pharisees were probably more the religious leaders of the common man. They controlled the synagogues. And so Jesus was always around the common people, always around the synagogues. So that's why he had more uh, hostile encounters with the Pharisees, because where they are and where they spent their time. And so if you think about the wealthy, the elite, uh, the political elite, the intellectual elite, that would be the Sadducees, uh, the common man, the blue-collar worker, that'd be the Pharisees because they controlled the synagogues of the day. And so in John chapter 3, Jesus has an encounter with a guy named Nicodemus. And it is an encounter that changes Nicodemus' life 
and it changes his life ultimately forever, but it also really instructs us in our lives and our day. Because if you look at Nicodemus, we're going to see a number of things uh, about Nicodemus, is he was clearly a good man. Uh, he was clearly a religious man. He clearly was always asking himself the question, which is, I think, what led to his questioning of Jesus. He was always asking him the self, himself the question, have I done enough? Have I done enough? And, you know, I think if we aren't careful from time to time as men, as even good men, we can wonder and we can forget that salvation truly is a combination of faith and God's grace. That we, when we kind of shape up, when we kind of get it together, uh, we can start asking ourselves the question, well, have I really done enough? And I think that's, that's where Nicodemus was. As he came and he had a conversation with Jesus and he asked him a question, I really think that's what he was doing. He was saying, Lord, have I done enough? What do I need to add to what I've already done to make sure that I will cross the finish line and make it to heaven in the future? Have I done enough? And so if you are in that space right now uh, and you are constantly, you would never, because we're so spiritual, we would never ask that question out loud, right? But let me ask you a question. Be honest. Have you ever really wondered in your mind, have I done enough? I mean, honestly. I'm seeing heads shake, right? Because that's our nature, right, as dudes? I mean, dudes are doers if you didn't know that. And if you're not a doer, you're not a dude, right? I mean, that's really, have I done enough? Man, am I a good enough husband? Am I a good enough dad? Am I good enough this? Am I good enough at the office? Am I good enough? I mean, that's what we want to know, right? Have I done enough? And as we look at Nicodemus, and I've, I've been enamored over the years, and I don't know if you've ever felt this way, uh, there have been times, man, especially since I surrendered the ministry, that I would encounter another pastor, I'd hear another pastor share a testimony. And, and his testimony would be like this, I grew up in a lost home, then I got addicted to drugs, then I started robbing banks, and then I started stealing money, and then I turned seven years old. How many of you know? You ever heard, you ever heard those testimonies? And it just got worse from there. And they said, man, God just saved me out of this lifestyle, and, and man, just it has been amazing since then. And I've often thought, I wish I had been a drug addict. I wish I had robbed banks, because then I would really know what it means to be saved, Right? But that's not the way I grew up, and it's probably not the way most of you grew up. I grew up a good kid in a good family. Now, I knew how to have fun. How many of us know what I'm talking about? But I never robbed a bank. Uh, I'm not saying I wouldn't have robbed a bank. I just never thought that was a wise, wise move, right? Uh, I guess that's where the drugs come in. Uh, but here is the reality. For many of us, right, we grew up, we were pretty good guys. I didn't mean we didn't mess up, didn't make a lot of mistakes. And, and for me, I became a Christian at a young age. And, and I, I, by the time I was seven, I mean, I was a good kid until I became a Christian. Am I the only guy that ever did that? Because my teenage years happened after I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, right? So every sin I committed was in the light, right? 
And, and it was always this idea of, man, I shouldn't be doing this, but I am doing this. And then ultimately when I surrendered the ministry a little later in life, after, after college and after really the, uh, you know, the wild oats had been sold and I come back, I remember having those questions in my mind, man, do I have enough faith? That's kind of my question of, have I done enough? Right? Uh, or the question of, you know, if I am a Christian or if I was a Christian, why did I do that? Because I would hear other people give this testimony, man, and since I've become a Christian, I've never struggled with that again. You know, I've never, I, I've had people, and I love those testimonies, and I love those conversations where someone would say, man, I, I was a raging alcoholic, I struggled with that, but God took away from me. And then I hear other guys that, man, I, I've struggled with alcohol for a long, long time. I've struggled with some other addiction for a long, long time. And maybe it's not alcohol. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. But I'm a Christian. But, man, God hasn't removed that from me. And, and I've had people sit in, had dudes sit in that office and go, man, why can't God or why doesn't God help me get over this? And you know what they're asking? What else do I need to do? Right? They're saying, what else do I need to do? I want to please God, but have I done enough? And I think when we come to this encounter with Nicodemus, I think Nicodemus asked some of the questions we all ask. Have we done enough? And I love Jesus' response in John chapter 3. And so let's pick it up and let's just talk about this encounter uh, that uh, Nicodemus has. And if you didn't know, let me just give you a couple of thoughts. When you think about the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he was a Pharisee. Uh, the Sadducees, uh, kind of that wealthy ruling class, uh, the upper class, they interpreted the Bible much more literally uh, than, than, the, than the Pharisees did. They basically said the Bible is the authority. The Pharisees believed that it was a Bible and oral tradition. And so that's why Jesus engaged a lot. Man, all the rules, all the laws that they had put together, they really believed that it was the Bible plus a lot of oral tradition, a lot of things. And so here's what we see. They lived a very rigid lifestyle. They, had, they truly believed that there was one true God. That's what the Pharisees believed. Uh, they had a, an unwavering commitment uh, to the laws of the Old Testament, but also to their oral tradition. Uh, they had incredible moral standards. Man, there was clear right and wrong. And if you were going to be a Pharisee, uh, you, you towed the line. You did what they said you were going to do, and you didn't do what they said you were not going to do. And so here we have a, a nighttime encounter. That, that's why I believe that Nicodemus was a guy that, man, he had been a Pharisee. He, he walked and lived according to the Pharisaical rules, the laws, and everything that they did. But I think he was always asking that internal question, is this really enough? And why is that? Because I, I think he's probably like the rest of us. He's probably like the rest of us in that we know we're probably not as good as others think we are. I see some of you nodding your head, right? And, and by the way, I'm not going to call you out, but isn't there a reality that there are times that people look at us and say you're awesome and you're like, yeah, I, I just lucked out on that one. And I think that's why, as you think about it, there was something about the way Jesus spoke 
that touched Nicodemus's heart. And guys, when we journey through and we read through God's Word, I pray that perhaps you have a nighttime encounter with Christ, that I have nighttime encounters with Christ. And here, here's the beauty of it. I think when we have those nighttime encounters with Christ and we just kind of say, God, you know, I know I'm not the man, God, yet that you fully want me to be. And I think that's part of God giving us that sense and that draw and draw and that call till we haven't arrived yet, guys. And that is a good thing. As men, we need goals. And so I think it's okay for us to lay our heads on our pillow at night or sit in our office during the day and go, you know, I am not where God wants me to be. But I think we also need to celebrate I'm not where I was. I'm not where I was. And so as we come and look at this, look at, look at John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees, all right, that, 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 that man that lived by all the unwritten rules, lived by the oral tradition. Man, he was prideful. He was among prideful people. And his name was Nicodemus. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So not only was he a, a Pharisee, he's probably a member of the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was a combination of both, of, of both the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees, since they had the political power on there, there were more Sadducees than there were Pharisees. But they gathered together in this ruling council. And so now as you look at verse 2, And he came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if you are not doing them for God. And so as we think about it, there was something about the message of Jesus that touched Nicodemus's heart. And my prayer is that there is something in your life as we journey towards this Christmas season, this, through this Christmas season, maybe in the daily devotions, the verses you're reading, when you think about giving your plans to God and giving your words to God and giving your relationships with God, giving everything to God, that, man, you sense there is something about this Jesus. And so in all of His oral tradition and all of His moral laws and all of His moral co codes and the way He lived, He looked at Jesus and realized He had not done enough. He had not done enough. Why? Because he knew his own mind, his own heart, his own shortcomings, his own failures. He probably knew his own selfish pride. He probably knew there were many times that he was putting on a shell, an outside appearance, that really did not reflect his internal heart, his internal thoughts, and don't we all do that? And so he shows up at night and he has an encounter with the greatest of all, all time, Jesus. Now jump down to verse 3 and notice Jesus' reply it's kind of a confusing one for Nicodemus. So notice what it says. He, he just kind of shows, shares with him the truth. Verse 3, it says, In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, when we think about uh, Nicodemus, my guess is he stepped back and said, wait, unless he's born again. What does this mean? Because I think in a guy's life like Nicodemus, there are a couple of obstacles to him really coming to faith. 
And maybe these are your obstacles. Maybe you don't have that testimony of, uh, of, uh, uh, that I talked about earlier where you grew up in a bad experience and, and struggled with everything. But as we journey forward, as we think about where he was and where we are, man, I, I just think probably an obstacle to him truly following Christ was the fact that he was a good dude. I mean, if he was a Pharisee, here's what we know. If he was a Pharisee, he was a good guy. He followed the law. He had been circumcised. He was doing all of those things. But he realized, man, if God is as holy as we say he is, I don't measure up. And I think an obstacle to him ultimately coming to faith was probably the fact that he was a good man. I think it's pretty easy for a person that grows up outside of the faith in a difficult household to accept God's grace. I think oftentimes it's those of us who grow up in a godly home and we choose to do bad things that we struggle with the idea of grace. And I think that's what you see is you had Nicodemus realize, I'm a pretty good guy, but if God is as holy... As we talk about being holy, totally and completely separate from sin, that the fact that he is a good man, I think, could have become an obstacle to him accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. And look, I think uh, perhaps even his religion became an obstacle. Man, I'm a Pharisee. Remember Paul in Philippians chapter 3? He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was circumcised the eighth day. He says, as to the law, I was found blameless. You know what Paul was saying? He was saying, man, my religion, the idea that I was a law-abiding Pharisee, that stood between me and the grace of God. And I think there are times that, man, if we are a good guy, that can stand. Maybe you know someone that they're a good guy. They don't think they need the grace of God. Or, man, you can be a religious guy. And I think that's where ultimately Nicodemus was here. His religion perhaps stood between him and truly becoming a follower of Christ. Uh, I think maybe his religious office. I think maybe his religious office, that here he was a member of the ruling council, it says. In other words, of the religious elite, he was the religious elite. So I guess that would be religious elite squared. I know, I remember a couple of years ago, I was at uh, a pastor's conference at the Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, a guy was delivering a message. And he just felt compelled of God to deliver a salvation message. So you got all these pastors, right? And he stood up at the pastor's conference and he concluded with a gospel presentation. And he said, there is no doubt in my life that some of you have been pastoring a church and you are not a follower of Christ. And you could have just heard a pin drop. Why? Because you had all of these pastors. They had the religious office. And he says, my guess is some of you would love right now when your congregation isn't looking to walk the aisle and accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. And I'm thinking, I bet. Because it really wouldn't do much for your job security, right? If you came home and said, hey, guys, by the way, I've been pastoring this church for 26 and a half years and I might accept Christ. Just been taking a paycheck. 
And so he's kind of sitting there working the crowd, and, and, and then he stops and he goes, listen. He goes, my guess is that some of y'all would love permission to walk the aisle. And some of you just want to nail it down. And he called an invitation. All pastors. And all of a sudden you saw one fool get up and walk forward. And we all started judging him. How many of you know? Look. And then another one walked forward. And another one walked forward. And another one walked forward. And then just the way he began to talk, he says, guys, you know, sometimes we let our religious office stand between us really doing business with God. And he goes, if there are others of you here, not for salvation, who just want to come and kneel before God at an altar when you're not having to be the one calling for others to kneel to the altar, he says, come on down. And I will tell you, we flooded not for salvation, just to come down apart from a religious office to say, man, I need to be that guy that walks and kneels before the altar and just pray. And man, it was just amazing feeling to see all these guys who pastored incredible churches, sometimes big, sometimes small, but all awesome, just kneeling before God. Not all of them asking for salvation, but just say, God, use me. Man, don't let my religious office stand between me and you being who, and me being who you want me to be. And so I think that's where you had Nicodemus, man. Nicodemus is saying, I'm a Pharisee, I'm a good man, I, I'm circumcised, I, I, I'm a moral guy, but I've also been elected to be one of the ruling council, and I go to bed at night and I'm like, I'm not all that in a bag of chips and there's something about what this Jesus is saying. So he slips up to him at night and he says, man, I sense that you are of God. And so Jesus gives him kind of a confusing response. He says, man, I... I know this. And so notice as we pick it up and as we continue to read, uh, it says, we know your teachers come from God. Look at verse 4. And he says, verse 4, John chapter 3, verse 4, he says, How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked, Surely he cannot enter a second time in his mother's womb. Can't get a do-over. And Jesus answered and says, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the Spirit. Look at verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to the spirit. And look at verse 7. He said, you should not be surprised that I'm saying this. You must be born again. So Jesus is saying there's got to be a do-over somehow, some way. Nicodemus is smart enough to go, yeah, there are no such things as do-overs. I can't go back into my mother's womb. And so as we pick it up, jump down to verse 9. And so Nicodemus asked him the question. This is a guy who is a member of the ruling class. He is a Pharisee. He is a teacher of the law. He is an obeyer of the law. And notice what he says in verse 9. He says, how can this be? Nicodemus asked. And Jesus kind of flips it around on him. Jesus kind of sticks it to him. The greatest of all time kind of sticks it to him. And notice what he says in verse 10. He says, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? He says, you're one who teaches Israel, and you don't get it? 
You don't understand these things? You don't know how to ultimately get to heaven? What are you teaching? What are you talking about? Where are you leading the people? And I love this response. Notice what Jesus does. Jump down to verse, uh, says, jump down to verse 13. He says, it's in your law. He says in verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven. So this is Jesus' response. Into heaven, except the one who came from heaven, who is the Son of Man. Look at verse 14. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. Now, this might just seem to be a throwaway passage here, but it's not. What Jesus is doing is He's going right at this Pharisee, saying, you're a teacher of Israel. And you don't know how to enter the kingdom of heaven. He goes, it's right there in your law. They were big on the Torah, right? They were big on rules. He goes, it's right there in your Torah. If you go to Numbers chapter 21, that's where you'll see the story of the snake. And remember, it's a story where the children of Israel, they had gone to the promised land. The spies had encouraged them to turn away. They turn around. They go out. Instead of being in the promised land, where it was a land that was flowing with milk and honey, it had all the beauty, all the things, all the, I mean, everything they needed. The grapes were amazing. The fruit was amazing. They were wandering around in the desert. And they begin to complain and grumble and gripe. And so they come up to Moses and they complain and they grumble and gripe and God gets angry at them. And so God releases poisonous snakes. And they begin to, the snakes begin to bite the people and the people begin to die. And Moses is a good leader. He begins to cry out to God. And God repents and relents. And so God shows up. You can go read it in Numbers chapter 21. God shows up to Moses and said, here's what you're going to do. Make a bronze snake. Put it up on your staff. And he says, anyone who is bit and is dying, if they will look up at the snake, they will be healed. Now, this is confounding. Explain to me how if I'm bit by a real snake and injected with real venom, I can look to a fake snake and be healed. Does that make sense to anybody in this room? No, it doesn't make any sense at all. But notice what it says over and over. Go, go read Numbers 21. Anyone who looks to the snake. You know, when we think about the salvation message, when you and I think even today perhaps about the fact that you mean all I have to do to be forgiven of my sins is look to Jesus who hangs on a cross. My guess is there have been at least one time in your life, just like it's been in my life, where I'm like, how can that really do it? Right? How can that really do it? Because I've thought that in the past. I'm like, man, you mean just because of what he did? Surely I need to add something to it. That's what Nicodemus was saying. Surely I've got to add something to it. Have I done enough? We all get ourselves in that space, in that place. And that's why Jesus says, man, it's right there in your book. It's in your law. It's in Numbers chapter 21. It's that we have all been infected by the poisonous venom of sin. And all we have to do to be saved from it is to be willing to look at Jesus who died on the cross. And so Nicodemus is being instructed to Jesus, look in God's Word, the answer is there. 
And so for you and me, the answers are here. And so now let's continue to read on as we jump forward. Notice what it says. Uh, if you pick it up in verse 16, it says, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. I love what Martin Luther said, the great reformer. He said, John 3.16 is the miniature gospel. He says it's all four of the gospels shrunk down into one verse, one verse. That God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Now, if you go back to Numbers 21, the word, word anyone is used several times. Anyone who looks at the snake, anyone who has been bitten, anyone who looks at the snake, anyone who, is in, who has been bitten. That's exactly what Jesus is saying right here. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and, one and only Son that anyone, whosoever, looks at Him will be saved. And so, guys, for those of us who constantly have that question, have I done enough? The real answer is we will never do enough. Guys, we can never do enough. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how good I am. You can never do enough and I can never do enough. The only thing I can do, the only thing you can do, is look to Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. And my fear is, as I was thinking about teaching this lesson today and having a really an encounter with Christ as the goat, the greatest of all times, is I am fearful that there are a lot of men in churches today and perhaps churches like Cottonwood Creek where we teach the Word and you serve and you love and we're good people. But my greatest fear is that there's a spiritual stumbling block in all of our lives, an obstacle in all of our lives where we put our heads on the pillow at night and still ask that same question that Nicodemus asked, have I done enough? None of us can. None of us have, and none of us ever will. You haven't done enough to earn your salvation, and you never will do enough to earn your salvation. The only thing you and I can do is do exactly what they did in the Old Testament when they were bitten by a poisonous snake, is to look to a snake that Moses had made. The only thing you and I can do to remove the guilt of sin is to look to Christ, who God gave as His one and only Son. Then as you continue to read on, notice what it says in verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Then he says, Whoever believes in Him, verse 18, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Then look at verse 19. This is the verdict then. The light has come into the world, but men ultimately love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. You say, what happened to Nicodemus? 
It's kind of interesting. We see him mentioned a couple of times throughout Scripture. We never see Nicodemus say, I'm a follower of Jesus. But he does show up a couple of times. He shows up, a guy named Nicodemus, who was on the ruling council, shows up uh, when Jesus is being tried, and he kind of pauses and encourages them, hey, let's do something else, but he realizes they had made their decision already. But it's also interesting when Jesus dies and Joseph of Arimathea is there to take possession of the body, a dude named Nicodemus is there and brings a bunch of spices. Many believe it's the same Nicodemus. That he was still dealing, all, dealing with that same question over and over and over again all the way through the death of Jesus Christ, have I done enough? That he was just someone who was kind of looking in, but every night he laid down going, have I done enough? And as we think about this moment in our lives, I'm going to encourage you. Don't be a guy that constantly and consistently asks yourself a question, have I done enough? Just go ahead and choose today and be honest. I haven't done enough. And I'll never do enough to earn my salvation. But I'm willing to this day nail it once and for all that if there's anything I ever do that is right, it's looking to Jesus and Him on the cross. Jump down to verse 36. Here's how this chapter ends. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on Him. Now look at those words. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. The question is not, have you done enough? The question is, do you believe? And I think a lot, of, a lot of times, then we turn it around, well, do I believe enough? Anybody ever ask yourself that question? Guys, I think Jesus is looking at you and he's looking at me and he says, if you believe, that's enough. If you believe that Jesus is God's son, that God sent him, he lived a perfect life, he was nailed on the cross, he, he was died, he was placed in a tomb, rose again the third day. If you believe, you've done enough. Don't ever let Satan cause you to consistently change the question from have I done enough to do I believe enough? Because that's the same question. And it's the same poisonous venom that'll keep you and me from being the men of God we need to be. And so as we think about a guy named Nicodemus who journeyed at night because he realized there was something different about what Jesus said, let us be a guy who is willing to openly and honestly ask Jesus, not have I done enough, not do I believe enough, but instead, say, Christ, because you've done enough that I ultimately will serve you with the rest of my life. Let's pray.
God, thank you so much for this day. God, my prayer today in this message is that somehow, some way, I've connected with guys in this room and guys on Zoom who are always asking, asking themselves that question, have I done enough? Do I believe enough? But God, I pray that we'd all step back and even when the gospel doesn't make sense, how could looking at a snake in the Old Testament in the desert heal those who had real venom and real poison in their lives? God, how much more can we, looking back at the gospel, how much more can we truly understand that if we look to Jesus on a cross, that He delivers real forgiveness for the real sin that is in our life. God, let us not be hampered like Nicodemus with our goodness or our religiosity, but instead, let us be empowered to serve You, not for our salvation, but because of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen. God bless you guys. Y'all have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Men's Bible Study. For more information about Cottonwood Creek Church, visit cottonwoodcreek.org. That's cottonwoodcreek.org.